impact. Jesus commands believers to be salt and light in every aspect of their lives. Join us today as Senior Pastor Dean Hunter speaks with believers who are making an impact for the cause of Christ and through their testimony are encouraging others to impact their world. Welcome to the Impact Podcast with uh, Dean Hunter. My name is Dean Hunter, and we're excited to have you back for our fourth episode of the Impact Podcast. And just a reminder, the purpose of this podcast is to celebrate and highlight, introduce you to people who are making an impact for the cause of Christ right here in our area. Uh, Scripture tells us that we are to be salt and we're to be light wherever we go, whatever we do, uh, do it for the glory of God and it's been fun for three episodes now to interview a couple of people, uh, friends of mine that you may or may not know, who are doing just that, being uh, salt and light, making an impact for uh, the cause of Christ right here in their own community, in their country, uh, in their uh, church. And today is uh, no different. I have a very special guest with me, someone that I have known for quite some time, and many of you who are listening may have known uh, let me introduce to you Dr. Natalie Atwell. Uh, some of you have been around uh, Central Baptist Church for a while. Remember Natalie Roper? She's been married for a while now, and uh, she's going to introduce herself here in a second. But Natalie, it's great to have you join me today on the Impact Podcast. So, so grateful that you took the time to be here. Thanks for having me. Sure. So uh, let's just start at the beginning. Um, how long have you known me? No, just kidding. No. My whole life. Yeah. We've known each other for <laughs> quite some time. Our moms were very good friends for years and years. Natalie was raised uh, pretty much here at Central Baptist Church. And uh, as all of us, we get older and wiser and lives change and we marry and have families. And um, it's been it's been fun to see what God has done in uh, your life over the last several years, especially. And so just uh, tell us a little bit about Natalie and how you got to where you are and uh, what God's doing in, in your life and in your family and in your ministry right now. Well, on the ninth day of March, 1981, I'm kidding. Um, well, I grew up here at Central Baptist, so even just driving down the driveway today just brought back so many memories and just felt so special because this is truly a special place. And I'm so thankful for the foundation that God gave me here um, and actually got saved in Sunday school here at age 13 with Sean and Krista Hetty as my teachers. Many of you probably remember them. Um, but I grew up as a middle child, so I was very strong-willed and hard-headed, and God's used that, thankfully, in good ways, I, I hope. I still He's still molding me, for sure, in those areas. Um but yeah, I grew up in a Christian home, became a Christian on my own measure. I was one of those kids that was always inquisitive about everything. And I will say my dad, he was never afraid of the questions that I had about faith. And he would say, let's look at this. Let's look at that different faith. And I think just being open to me asking those questions, it did not push me further away, but it made me dig deeper. And so as I became an adult, I wanted to learn more and definitely grew closer to the Lord um, over the years and still to this day, that's my quiet time and my morning time with the Lord is really the most special time of my day. So I would say that out of that grew lots of other things. All right. And so you got saved at a young age. And then tell us a little bit about how 
I, I know what you do now in your ministry and definitely want our listeners to know uh, your ministry, but, but how did you, maybe you want to start with what you're doing and then how you, how you got into that path. Yeah, so I'm a licensed mental health counselor now, and I also teach as an adjunct faculty member at Liberty University in the clinical mental health and school counseling programs. And so my business is really counseling, and that is just meeting people where they are, building a trusting relationship, and helping them to overcome whatever problems they have or struggles that they are um, experiencing at that point in their life. So I have a counseling practice with several therapists and a life coach. We have a group counseling coordinator now, and God just really blessed because the needs have really increased in the last several years. But I definitely never had the plan starting out to do what I'm doing now when I was younger. And so what what led you in that direction? You know, I think my parents were always helper types. You know, my dad was in prison ministry and my mom worked in the school system and they always were helping others. So I think in that regard, it was in my blood. But I, when I was in college, um, I thought about different paths to take, but ended up wanting to go to graduate school to be a school counselor. So I started out doing that, did that for about 10 years. And then after having kids, I needed more flexibility in my schedule. And I had worked under a licensed mental health counselor, so I was able to get my licensure, even though I wasn't using it at the time. And so the job opportunity that opened up was a private practice in Charlotte. So I started out there and ended up loving it. And so I worked part-time and then um, needed to get out of the Charlotte area because the university area was just becoming a little bit more challenging for me. Um, especially leaving late at night and things like that. So we decided to open up my own practice in Concord. All right. And so now uh, that's up and running. You had a groundbreaking, was it this year? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. We moved locations, so we thought, hey, we'll do a ribbon cutting. Right. Even though we've been open for seven years. Yeah, it was fun. And so um, you've said a couple things already about you know, even how you came to know Christ and and knowing the ministry, the the uh, field that you're in, being a Christian, obviously this being a Christian podcast, one of the things I often find as being a pastor and talking to people and even people I've interviewed is how important the family is, Yeah, uh, the Christian family. And in your case, you said you had a Christian family uh, that helped push you in the right direction, were able to answer the questions. And before we get too deep into maybe some of the common occurrences in the mental health field and, and people you deal with uh, on a daily basis— can you just speak to how important you have found the Christian family to be or just family in general uh, as far as outcomes in, in students and young adults' lives? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's funny because as I study brain science and more of the topics that I teach about and learn about and lead people in and counseling, um, it makes me understand why the things that my parents did worked. Or, and maybe they didn't even know they were doing them intentionally. But even the, what I talked about earlier about allowing your kids to ask questions and, and not being afraid of the questions that they ask and being prepared to give them answers and not just shutting them down, um, those things are important. So what that's built in is relationship. So having an open relationship with your kids where you can talk about everything and anything, even if you don't want to talk about it. And there's right. plenty of things as mine are teenagers that I don't want to talk about, but I have to. Um, but also, your brain is looking for examples all the time to actually help you to build 
um, what we call spiritual disciplines. People don't, you can't just give people disciplines and say, do these and you'll change. If so, then the church would be full of people who have changed. But relationships are what that's really built on. And so the brain's looking for examples. And I'll say the biggest example I had is watching my dad read his Bible every day. You know, and the fact that they took us to church and they made that a priority in our lives, um, and not in a not in a way that felt forceful. You know, we did feel like we had choice in it, and that's so important. Um, but it is so much easier for me to do the things that I saw my parents do, because again, that's just how our brains were actually wired to to do, and that's why even in Things like sharing your story with your family and with those around you, like testimony times, can be really important because people need to hear how you overcame, how you became where you are today in the Lord. So so let me ask a, a question that you maybe just taught me something. You're saying our brains are wired to see an example. Mm-hmm. That's what they're constantly looking for. So it solidifies in your mind what you want to do. Okay. So everybody's brain is wired that way yes. right? to look for examples of how to do, how not to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense. I, I find myself oftentimes, I think I even said it last Sunday, it's the more we know about scripture, the more we realize just how smart God is yeah. and how he created what he did um, kind of as that example. He created the family, mm-hmm. wants us to, to uh, have a family the way he set it up. And when we exactly. do it that way. Things happen yeah. the way they should. Um, interesting. I've already learned something. I took a note on that. Oh, wow, so um, glad. We can talk more about that later. Yeah, another another <laughs> thing you said that I think is interesting, and I think it's good for parents, and, and as I told you before we started, and for those of you listening, I wanted today's time to be uh, really focused on the younger generation and and how what Natalie does in her practice and her ministry um, she's been able to obviously gain a lot of knowledge um, just on what's affecting students, what's affecting children, teenagers, young adults. And I think it's important that parents understand that. You you made the comment, and I've had the same comment, um, me and my wife, about some some topics you don't really want to talk about, yeah. but you need and to talk about. you're never ready. And you're never ready for those conversations. And, and then you have them, and then you've got some fun stories to tell later. But cool. Um, yeah. I've, I've said this and maybe you can say it from your professional point of view. Kids are going to learn things. Mm-hmm. We can either let them learn them from the, the wrong places, the wrong people, or we can take advantage of the opportunity and teach them ourselves uh, from God's word. That's yeah. safe to say. Yeah. I, I say in practice, um, I would rather be Google for my kids than them to actually go to Google and search something. So if I am prepared and I have those conversations with my kids before they have the chance to go online, then they're less likely to go online and search for things. Most kids that find things they don't want to see online or they get caught in a mess, you know, from the internet or whatever, it's not necessarily initially because they were searching that out. They were just asking a question. And they didn't feel like they could go to their parents and ask that question. Right. So you don't want to be in that place for sure. Yeah. So having that relationship with your kids where they feel comfortable, as comfortable as a kid can have having yes. some of those conversations. Um, so so that kind of gets me into a question that we, I said that we would talk about. When you think about it, and you made the comment that sometimes parents don't want to have that conversation because they don't know what to say. 
I think that applies a lot in the church. People are scared mm-hmm. to have spiritual conversations because they're afraid they won't know what to say. And in this case with the parents, they don't know, you know, what, my kid might ask me something. Um, so as a, as a church, as a Christian, we, we say, well, we have God's answer in his word. Right. And so that's imperative for parents to, to know the word of God, to, yes. uh, to be in, to be in church, to grow in grace and knowledge, put their kids in church uh, to make sure they know that. And so the question comes to what some refer to as the sufficiency of Scripture. So if if Scripture is sufficient for all of our necessities, all of our answers, uh, a lot of times in in the church world, people would even ask the question, well, why do you need Christian counseling? Mm -hmm. Why would you send somebody? Now, I have my answers, and as a pastor, I've... I've answered those questions, but can you speak to that? The um, if if Scripture is sufficient, how do you tie in or how do you apply the need for Christian counseling? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. I get that question a lot, and I love the church. I love God's word so much, and so it's important for me to be able to answer that from a perspective of a Christian counselor. But in Proverbs eleven fourteen fifteen, it says, "Where no counsel is, the people fall." But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. So that's always been my goal, is to be a part of that multitude of counselors and come alongside the church to help people um, where the church is saying, you know what, this is a little bit out of our wheelhouse at the moment. You know, I think they may have an eating disorder or they may have some anxiety that's way more than what we can help with in the context of the church. But we want to partner with someone who we know believes how we do and who can lead them to the place where God wants them to heal. So I believe it is biblical. I mean, Jesus also, we are supposed to be like him, and he was called the Wonderful Counselor. So God's just given us the opportunity sometimes to be that person in someone's life. Right, and and I completely agree with that. And on a personal level, I've, I made the decision years ago, and there are other options of Christian counseling in our area. You just were someone that I've known, and we were able to trust and build that um, relationship with our church and with your practice and there's a couple others that we we know about and we have partnerships with but but as a pastor who yes believes in the sufficiency of scripture absolutely i found that there were times that it would be best for someone to go to a licensed mm-hmm. professional christian biblical counselor right, right. for more reasons than well i don't have the answers mm-hmm. and um i could go into detail about that but i Maybe you can speak to maybe if a pastor's listening and and they struggle with well should I send someone to a Christian counselor and and I think we know the answer yes make sure it's a Christian counselor that believes in the Word of God as sufficiency of Scripture yeah. but outside of that to give them maybe the liberty or the freedom or the encouragement to hey it's all right you don't have to answer and fix everybody's problems in a church no. now if you're a pastor of a small church and you've only got you know X amount of, you might be able to do that but. I think we both agree people, students, parents are dealing with far greater issues uh, on a level that we've never seen. And, and me personally, I think sometimes the, the pastor would be well served to send them in the right direction. Can you kind of maybe offer something that would help encourage a pastor to do that? Yeah, absolutely. I think when you look at issues of mental health um, and, and a lot of different issues we talk about today are related to that, the social, emotional, um, the mental, the relationships, all those things are really rooted in brain health. And so if you had 
um, someone come to you and say, hey, I'm having some issues with my kidneys, then you probably wouldn't be the best person to help them. You would say, hey, I want to pray with you, and I'm going to let you know what God's Word says. But, hey, there's a time and place when you might need to seek a physician who is a specialist in that area, and they can help you. You know, and so I look at it that way is we might be a person who's we have a little bit more specialized skill in that area of brain health um, with the social, emotional, you know, mental struggles that people have at times. But again, using scripture um, is always important to me and, and the people that I hire because I believe that healing is found in truth. And so having that rooted is going to be important. But we also have been trained in other techniques and things that can be helpful um, that God has given us. So just like medicine, you may not know this, but I actually minored in psychology. That is scary. Which means absolutely nothing (laughs) in the, in the realm that we're talking about. And, And I think, I think the potentially, and I don't want to put words in other pastors' mouths is that, you know, you go to school, you go to seminary, you're qualified to handle this. Um, and I'm not saying you're not, yeah. but I mean, maybe encouraging a pastor to come to the realization that there are better, more capable yeah. people who can meet. And and one of the keys that I think you just mentioned, and it's become more, this word has become more popular in modern culture is mental health. Mm-hmm. And just acknowledging that mental health really is a concern. It really is a medical diagnosis, I guess you could say. That's maybe something in this generation has become more prominent, more obvious. And and understanding your analogy as a pastor, um, you know, if if someone came to us with needing a transplant of an organ, we're not gonna, you know, try to help them with that. Uh we're gonna send them to a doctor. And um how we would all love to know that we could refer our our parishioners to doctors who are Christian. And so True. understanding that mental health is valid and people do struggle with mental health, being able to send them to a Christian doctor who was able to help, I think that's uh, right. definitely a good word there. And there are many examples in Scripture. I mean, I've read whole books about, you know, people who struggled with mental illness in Scripture, and it wasn't always a pastor or a priest who helped that person with their mental illness. You know, it could have been someone else that God used. And so I think that's where we have to know that God uses others. And I believe as a pastor, there's a lot on your plate, and you will easily burn out if you think that it's your job to solve everyone's problems, in the especially in the area of mental health. One of the beauties about what we do, you know, I don't see friends and family personally, because, you know, there has to be an aspect of you know, professional professionalism in that you want it to be confidential. And so you want someone to come in your office and they eventually build a trusting relationship and they don't know you at first, but there's confidentiality. And so there is a beautiful thing about being able to go and talk to someone about your struggles that you don't know, but you learn to trust right. over time, but you don't have a relationship outside of that, re- that context. Which, so there's beauty in that too. Yeah, and so that was that's one of my several reasons personally why yeah. I mean it's it's up to every pastor. I'm not telling any pastor what to do. But to your point, that level of professionalism to where you can compartmentalize, you can right. you can actually have a split. It's like this is one of my church members. I'm and you know yourself better than anybody as a right. pastor or as a leader. Can you handle knowing what you know? 
yeah. and still being their pastor week after week after week. Um, yeah. Can you can you meet with them and know what you know and then not go in and Use yeah. it as an example in a in a message next yes, week. Please don't do that. Um, even you know using fake names, and I think yeah. I think that's a temptation, and I know it has happened and it will happen, and I think that's another area to where pastors can can utilize Christian counseling and yeah. um, take that in your in your term, take it off their plate. We do have a lot on us, and uh, what better way to use your resources than to actually um, utilize friends, utilize companies or organizations that you have partnerships with to do the work of the ministry alongside. And, and that's what we've tried to do. Not, not that this is about us, but what we've tried to do. And we've, we have actually budgeted uh, in our annual budget for counseling for Christian counseling. So in certain situations, we, we will not only refer somebody, but we will yeah. when possible help pay uh, for someone to do that. And so I, I just, it's something that important to me and I was wanting and wanted you to shed some light on that, maybe encourage other pastors to, yeah. to consider that resource. And I'm also, if people have other questions, I, I'm more than happy to answer those questions if they want to email me or whatever, because sure. I think it's important. And at the, and at the end, we definitely want to find ways to, to contact um, yeah. you and your office and, and utilize your help uh, and resources and when we publish this, we'll have that in the show notes as well, as much as information as we can. So another topic that I wanted us to talk about is, yeah. um, is, is a topic that will help parents. Obviously, I've said earlier I wanted us to talk about some of the issues with children, with teenagers. You've already mentioned a few uh, mental health concerns, disorders, and um, things like that. I, I just maybe on a general conversation if you were speaking to parents mm-hmm. we're speaking to parents mm-hmm. giving them some advice maybe telling them facts what you're seeing yeah. to open our eyes uh, as parents my eyes your eyes people in the church people outside the church um some things that would help them some of the common diagnosis things that you're seeing that maybe we hear about, but think, oh, that's somebody else. And I know it as a pastor, we're dealing with it. Everybody's dealing with something. And maybe you could just speak to that to kind of maybe inform parents and then help parents uh, in the future with their children, especially. Sure. What do you think they are? What do you think are the top struggles? Uh, Well, in a very general sense, I would say anxiety. Yeah. Um, I have to be honest and say, as a teacher and a youth pastor for nearly 20 years, I, I would hear kids yeah. say they were stressed, and I would be like, what do you have to be stressed about? You're 12, <laughs> you're 15. You don't even have nerves. Yeah, you don't have anything to be stressed. But today, I think it's safe to say we've, we realize that teenagers especially are dealing with things that we never thought they would deal with. That's so I, I would yeah, say anxiety, depression, mm-hmm. um, suicide, obviously. Suicide's yeah. a terrible conversation to have to have but the the statistics are astronomical and so those are some of the things that come to mind immediately when you ask me what i think the problems are well you're exactly right because those are it um anxiety definitely depression um and suicide is the second leading cause of death from kids age 10 to up to 34 year olds so Mm -hmm. in the u.s so that's just awful to even think about it that way um but yeah it's a problem and i think Honestly, one of the 
problems with anxiety is that we, and, and the United States is the most anxious nation in the world. Um, I said it's the U.S. of anxiety, sadly. Mm. But it's kind of true. I mean, statistically, the studies that they've done, that's what it has shown. And I think that's just because we have so many comforts and things around us that we've sort of gotten addicted to that. And we just, you know, people think once you get all to a certain level or once you get all these comforts, then you're just going to be okay. But that's not really actually what happens. Sometimes I think unless we teach people, there's you forget that it's not about those things and you forget that you have this dependence on the Lord or you get anxious that you're going to lose those things or that you're not going to be who your parents want you to be or, or, or lots of different things. Um, definitely some of the contributors to that are an increase in social media. Like we just can't get around that. It is what it is. So as a, as a parent, you know, I have to monitor that. I have to put guardrails up for my kids. And I, I like to take the approach where they, um, have rites of passage. So they earn at a certain age, I'll let you have access to this. And then I'm going to monitor that. I'm going to watch it. And then when you've shown responsibility, then you might grow into another one. You don't want to completely shut down everything and then send them off to college and they have no idea how to handle some of these freedoms and things like that. So I would say let them gradually um, go into some of these things, but don't just let them have open-ended access in the sixth grade. You know, right. So I definitely think teaching them responsible ways to handle social media is something new for us as parents that our parents didn't have to do. I mean, we had to stand in line for the phone, you know what I mean? And yeah. so they don't have to do those things today. Um, a few differences today than 20, 30 years ago. I have to tell you this. You'd appreciate it. Um, I visited South Rowan a couple of times in the last two weeks. That's awesome. And um, so they have – a very new, it's not even, they, they actually just hired a teacher for a e-sports class. So what? They I have don't even know what that is. Outside of the library or media center, as yeah. they call it today, they have one of the nicest, coolest 21st century spaces with super high output computers with the fastest internet in Rowan wow. County. And they will be, they will be teaching, um, using a platform. I would, anything past this, I would be speaking incompetently, but a software platform that builds many of the games kids play, they have access to, Wow! they will do an esports team. They will compete against colleges and other schools with esports. And it was super, super cool. So I was walking around with one of the administration. I said, yeah, so this Think how modern this is, and then think about 20 feet from where we're standing is where I was introduced to the internet for the first time in my life. The internets. <laughs> I was awesome. like, I remember the World Wide Web being told the internet is coming. Yeah. And people were like, what? Who would ever use that? No. <laughs> right. <laughs> and now in the same space, we're talking about esports, um, e gaming, and competing against internationally. Yeah. In the same building. So I think so that's cool. a great example yeah. of how far we've come. And, and yeah, I, wasn't, it is. I wasn't at South Rowan that long ago, I wouldn't think, but mm-hmm. I guess it was longer than some of us would like to imagine. <laughs> but with that said, you, you made a couple good points, and, and not that you're the end-all, be-all answer, but I think social media, phones, devices is certainly something that parents yeah. are interested in hearing um, from someone who – 
who knows what they're talking about. Like when you say uh, teaching them responsible ways, I mean, you make a great point. If you say, okay, you're not doing anything on social media uh, until you go to college. And now they're, I think it's hard to believe that any teenager would not be on some social media, whether their parents know about it or not. But um, so what does that look like? Maybe just practically what do you, not that not that we're going to hold you accountable to no, this, but sure. what does that look like? What are some examples that parents could learn from? Um, and in full disclosure, you have teenagers, yeah. right? So we're not we're not speaking as people that know everything but don't no. have teenagers. And some of this is just trial and error, you right? Know? <laughs> and well, I will say first, a lot of parents when I teach on these things or say these things. Um, or just in conversation with friends, say these things. They'll say, well, I just don't have time, or I'm too tired. Like, I get it. I'm tired, too. And I don't always want to get my fun, f- son's phone and check it. And, and you know, when you ground them from certain things, yeah, it can be more challenging for you in, in the term. But that's being a parent. It's never about what's easy and what's it's about what's best. Right. So you have to do the things that you don't even feel like you want to do at times. And so things like, you know, checking their phones regularly, just, Hey, my kids know at any moment, if I ask for your phone, you better give me your phone so I can check it. You know, I also have the bark app. I really like that program. There are some programs like covenant eyes that offer like a separate browser that they can use. Um, There's a lot of different safety programs out there that can kind of help with your kids. Plus also phones have different features on them today that you can, you know, cut off, turn off certain types of content and ratings. You can rate things and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, when I have the Bark app on my son's phone is is funny because all of his friends know that if they say a cuss word or something stupid, it comes, it alerts me. So sometimes they do it just to make me laugh. Right. And they'll say, hey, Miss Natalie, ha ha. And I'm like, very funny. Stop putting that word in there or whatever. So but so let me fun. ask, let me ask you a question and you just answer if you, if you want to, should, should a middle schooler be on TikTok? Man, that's a good question. You know, I mean, what, how my son would answer that. Who's in middle school. He would say, well, the, it says for age 13 or whatever. I'm like, whatever, you know, I think that that's a parent's decision. So I'm going to defer to the parent on that. However, um, I think it's about that kid's responsibility, and I think it has to be monitored. Do I think they should have unlimited access to TikTok all the time? Absolutely not. And you can set a timer where you can only look at it for 30 minutes or whatever. Right. So, and because honestly, and and I think you need to talk to your kids about TikTok. You need to talk to them about what they're going to see on there and that once they look at one video, then they're going to be fed other things that are just confirming what they're looking at. So they're not really getting a good portrait of whatever that is. If they're looking up something for research purposes, which I would never say go to TikTok for research, but you know, they'll say that sometimes. So how much do you have any ideas or any thoughts on time that kids should be on? That's a, that's a big conversation, not just with parents, but even in the schools, um, you know, having access to, digital one-to-one and then you have there's always research yeah Um, Yeah. so what's your what's your thoughts on that as far as screen time things screen time 
Yeah, I mean, I think, well, for one, and I, I think this is good for us as adults, too. You need to be off at some point. You know, you need to have your phone where you are not being bothered by it certain hours of the day. You can't be on all the time. That is something, just your brain being stimulated all the time does lead to anxiety. So set a good example for your kids. Let them know you have limits. You have boundaries for your social media or for your phone in general. Um have that phone in a separate area where it's not in their bedroom at night. They actually still do make alarm clocks because I get that excuse all the time. Um, so there are other ways to do that. But I I would say 30 minutes during the school week. I mean, they need to be focused on school. They need to be outside. They need to be doing something physical. They 30 need minutes to, a day or 30 minutes for the week? 30 minutes a day. Okay, okay. Yeah. And, I, you know, you might say, you know, 30 minutes on TikTok, 30 minutes on Instagram or something like that. So... That might be it. I mean, TikTok is a little bit better for younger teens, I think. You know, Instagram, you have to be really careful because I'm going to be honest with you. I do work with sex trafficking, too, an anti-sex trafficking agency, Present Age Ministries. And one of the ways in the United States, mostly where people get sex trafficked, is they get groomed online through Instagram. So people will become their friend, and they'll talk to them sometimes for a year. I mean, I don't. I don't know of a teenage guy right now that would pursue a girl for a year before he ever met her, but that's how these traffickers are actually doing it. So they, they actually build a relationship um, on false pretense, obviously, but then that, you know, so you, you know, and there's so many ways to hide things on Instagram. You just have to be really careful about those things. But, and then Snapchat is another way that kids love to communicate. And I think that's one you have to be careful because there is that element of it goes away. You know, of course, I always tell my kids, like, you're, there's going to be pictures out there that, you know, think about it. if they're out there forever. You don't want that to be out there. Right. So. Well, you made a you made a important statement. I want I definitely would want parents to hear this. Um, you said. Now, earlier, let me let me backtrack. You said one of the. One of the leading diagnoses, I guess, in teenagers was anxiety. Mm-hmm. That's pretty generic, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Anxiousness, anxiety. Yeah. And it looks different in everyone. Right. And then you just said when we were talking about social media screen time that overstimulation leads to anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah, that's that's you would think that's kind of a no brainer. Yeah. Um, but if what you're saying is true and we have no reason not to believe anxiety is an issue among teenagers today. And we have an answer for how to prevent anxiety, then we would take it more seriously or at least begin yeah. taking it seriously, saying yeah. we yeah. know overstimulation right. leads to anxiety. Mm-hmm. So we need to do something to prevent it. Yeah. It's fair to say. Sure. Yeah. It's definitely one factor. Right. Yeah. Well, I think I think even in my world and in the public schools, that conversation, we have yeah. a lot of, you know, a lot of people who talk about the digital, the one-to-one and how yeah. it's not good in screen time. And I think, I think that's accurate. I just think there's a, a healthy balance of how we do it. And there's another conversation for yeah. how we teach today and things like that. But, sure. but that's not what we're here to talk about. So, um, but I will add to that because I want people to really hear this. This was a finding that I found when I was doing my dissertation in my research was that one third of the internet is pornography. One third. Third, think about everything that you do online. You pay your bills, everything. You know, you use Google Maps. You, I mean, my work is based off of the internet to a degree. One third of it. So 
when you think about getting on there and the access that people could have, that you have to have that safeguard. You have to prepare kids for stuff that they don't necessarily go out seeking that they want to see that can get through filters, whether it's through a school system filter or it's through a filter that you have at home. You should definitely have those safeguards in place, but also be prepared and teach them if this happens, if you see something, you know, then this is what you should do. Agree. And I think maybe maybe my purpose is I think most parents would agree, you know, being on the, being on the internet too long is, is bad to your point. I should do something about it. It takes a lot of work or whatever. I, I would think that the motivational factors in causing a parent to actually act on it is seeing the results Yeah, and hopefully prayerfully not seeing the results in their child, but in, in the research, in what we know is to be true. Yeah. And um, even the, like you said, the anxiety, and, and if we know we can prevent some of it, why wouldn't we do it? If we know that a third of the Internet is pornography, why wouldn't we take the extra few minutes to make right. sure we safeguard our kids yeah. and put an app on a phone or check their phone? Yeah. And, and we do live in a different age, and I try to laugh at it because yeah. I, even Sunday preaching, you know, and we, we responded differently to our parents, and our parents actually executed differently than the yeah. parents today. Um, and we just don't live in that day anymore. Yeah. And, um, and there's so many different outcomes that we would not expect. And, and I just, my burden is for parents to understand the importance of family. We started off talking about that. Understand yeah. the importance yeah. of being involved in your children's lives, having a relationship with them where they know they can talk to you about anything. They're going to talk to somebody mm-hmm. or they're going to go to the internet. Yeah which is in some way weirdly mm-hmm. talking to somebody to get the answers. Don't you want them to come to you? Yeah. And uh, we've covered that. And then now here in the, the social media, being being online, having phones, things like that, um, you, you mentioned anxiety and being something that all of our kids, many of our kids deal with today. What Can you maybe share what some of that looks like, how, how it yeah. manifests itself in teenagers that, end up needing counseling or going to counseling? What does it look like? When it's debilitating, when their grades are being impacted, when their relationships are being impacted, when they're not, they're not finding joy in the things that they used to find joy in. And I will say, I always like to bring this out um, about boys, especially because maybe because I have boys, but um, suicide rates are higher in boys because they can be more impulsive, but also anxiety in boys often looks like anger. And when they commit suicide, most of the time it's anger towards themselves and they are very impulsive. And so that's the result. And so there's more of a like follow through with boys on that, sadly, than with girls. So if your kid struggles with anger, like that's something to pay attention to, you know, and usually don't look at it like they're just this, you know, angry person, but they probably are struggling with some anxiety, you know, whatever's going on and then find out what the root of that is. Are they struggling in school? Are they having a learning problem? You know, are they having some issues with friends or, you know, a girl or, you know, maybe your things are happening at home that they're not comfortable with and they want to talk to you about that, you know? So it's just really, again, paying attention to your kid and noticing when there's changes. So, so I've got so many thoughts about that. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to try to ask this simply. A parent who notices irrational anger yeah. in a boy, in their mm-hmm. son. Practically, what's 
assuming they have a good relationship with them. I know that's yeah, a yeah. whole different sure. assumption and different route. What What's their first call? What's their first move? I think talking to them, saying, hey, what's going on? This is not who you are. You know, I know that you're not really deep down an angry person. You know, I know that you have these gifts and talents that God's given you. Um, so what's making you so angry? What's going on? And they may say, I don't know. So then you might have to dig a little deeper and ask some deeper questions. And then it might get to the point where you say, do you think you need somebody else to talk to? You know, and then it might be a youth pastor. It might be someone they're close to because we, we parents are the most important influence in a kid's life. Whether you want to be or not, you right, are. Right. Um, but it's also important to surround your kids with other godly influences. So having them a good youth pastor in a good youth group. You know, if they have, I know one of my really good friends, her daughter will listen to me before she'll listen to her. And my son will listen to her before he'll listen to me. And so that's okay. They're godly influences in their life. Right. Surround them with that. But let them, and if it's beyond that, if they don't want to talk to someone, you know, then, hey, do you want to talk to a counselor about it? Like, that's Okay. Um, and then get them that help so that it can learn tools and how to cope with that anger to figure out what they can do with it instead of, you know, hurt themselves. So that goes back to the obvious of the the relationship with the parents and the children. You, mm-hmm. We want that relationship where you can talk to them. They're, I mean, we're, we're let's be honest and real. They're, they're not going to talk to you about everything most they're of not. the time. Um, and then you've got the whole dynamic between daughters and sons and moms and dads and who wants to talk to who and who they can say this to and who they can't say this to. We all know that's real life, but just having that being able, I mean, it's hard to think that today it's almost sounds um, like, like it's fairy tale to say that a parent could sit down with a kid and have a 30 minute conversation. Like, really? You think that's going to happen? That's where we're at. Yeah. Because yeah. that sounds unreal. Mm-hmm. That's like, we can't do that. Yeah. Well, maybe that's why we're where we're at. Maybe that's why we're seeing some of the problems. Sure. And, and parents, I guess the theme of this is just yeah. encouraging parents to make sure they do everything they can to have that relationship so that they can talk to them and that they're willing to. But then, yeah. quite honestly, if they're uncomfortable with that conversation, if they don't know where to turn, certainly the pastors are involved, the youth pastors, but mm-hmm. but people like you and, and your yeah. – uh, I keep saying ministry, but uh, your ministry and, and your practice mm-hmm. that these are available and uh, to to not be afraid to reach out and get answers and get help before it escalates to a to another area. So th- I have yeah. to say this. I wrote it down while we were talking with with the depression, anxiety, suicide, teenagers, so much change, uh, social media. Are we still seeing effects of covid Yes. Yes. Now, everybody knows me, but when I say effects of COVID, I mean the mental, the mental health, and the we lockdowns, and the out of school, and a all monster. of that. Yeah. I'm. I mean, people can get mad at me for whatever I thought, but I went. You know, even against my own school board at the time, um, because I knew if we put these kids in isolation, it was going to be a nightmare mentally. And it has become a nightmare. Yeah, That's really the true, in my eyes, pandemic or epidemic or whatever you want to call it, is the mental health problem. And, you know, I think the government's trying to throw money at it and they're trying to fix it. But it's going to take a long time to undo what we've done because we were not created to be in isolation and to be alone. I mean, it really goes back to God set the lonely in families um, and we need each other. We need people. 
And so we took that away, and it has devastated our young people. We have really done them a disservice. How, how long? You say it takes a long time. How? Obviously, it's two, three years later now, yeah. and we're still seeing effects. Yeah. How long should we expect to see? And, and what, does, what does that look like? I don't know. What um, do, I know that's, that's a crazy question to ask yeah. for you to give me a definite, like, next year will be good. But yeah. no. What are some of the effects? What are we seeing in kids? Obviously, an increase in some of these mm-hmm. diagnoses yeah, that we're talking increase about. Increase in depression, um, anxiety, um, and even just not wanting to push through some of their problems, which is not good, not wanting to get help. So instead of pushing through this social anxiety that I have or I've developed, I'm going to going to be homeschooled or stay at home. And that's nothing against people who felt called to homeschool their kids. Like, I respect that. But now there are people who are saying, well, my kid just can't go to school, so they're going to stay at home. Well, if their problem's social anxiety, that's the worst thing you can do is to put them in isolation because they're never going to get over that. You're never going to get over a fear of heights by not going high. You know, and so we've given them so many different options to get around their problems instead of deal with their problems. I think that's what has really caused a lot of problems. And not that options aren't great for kids. Learning options are good. Um, But I think as people who can help them, adults in their lives need to make sure it is actually the best thing for that kid and not just a preference. Yeah. And I think to your point, I know you're not being anti-homeschool, anti- No, definitely not. um, Even homeschool have found... I mean, there's co-ops yeah, where they're meeting exactly. regularly because they there's understand some great the great models, for sure. Uh, online school. Mm-hmm. Rowan Salisbury has an online school mm-hmm. in Summit Virtual Academy. Right. And now they're incorporating ways to where they can meet weekly because yeah. they know how important that is. And mm-hmm. and I think, I mean, you use your words, we created a monster. And I think, obviously, it gets political and people get divided over sure. that. But we are seeing the impacts of it. And what's interesting is the larger, more left-leaning companies – are now bringing people back saying we have mm-hmm. to have people in a cubicle together. We have to yeah. have this togetherness, but they were the ones pushing for all the lockdowns. Yeah. So I think. Well, there's science behind that actually too. I mean, it's, it's biblically based. Um, you know, the joy of the Lord, it talks about that's our strength. And most of the time, the joy of the Lord is, is evidence in the face of God. And we talk about that often. It's talked about in scripture. Well, there was a Stanford professor that did some research, not biblical, not Christian to my knowledge. And he found that joy is the emotion that fuels your brain. And you have to experience that joy by looking at someone in the face. So if you never have face-to-face contact with someone and you do not get the same effect on a screen, they have found that. So if you never have that component of face-to-face reaction or interaction, you're not going to have the joy that fuels your brain. And that is so – I love when science catches up well, with scripture. There, there we go, and that's so. why I say – like I said last week, it's – the longer we live, the more we find out how smart God really is and yeah. that he knew what he was talking about. Uh, time has kind of slipped away. I want us to kind of – I think it's been helpful. I certainly hope parents have been helped, um, students, if you're listening, uh, to be helped. As I said before we before we go, I'll, I'll say this again. In our show notes on the um, on the device you're using, we'll, we'll put some links to some of the things we've talked about and obviously how you can get in touch with – uh, Natalie and her practice, but any, any last words? I've, I've got a few other things I wanted us to talk about, but any just last words for parents, for teenagers, anyone who's listening that would be words of encouragement or maybe some instruction that would help them? 
Yeah, I mean, I'll say for parents, um, I love Josh McDowell said, I think it was him who said rules plus relationships is what really makes um, a good family and a good model for parents and and, um, children. Now, if you have just rules, it's going to lead to rebellion. If you just have relationships, that's going to lead to rebellion as well. So you really have to have that coupled together. So for parents, I would just say pay attention, reach out, establish healthy boundaries, um, encourage community involvement around your child so they have other influences that are positive in their life. Don't be afraid to ask the hard questions and teach them how you deal with things, model good behavior for them, and talk about everything. And for kids, um, your parents, I know it's weird to think about them, that they've been there before, but they have. And even if they think they, you, you might think they don't want you to talk about certain things, they actually do. Um, they want you to come to them and um, let them help you. That's what they're there for. So go and you know build those relationships with your parents too and find out, ask them, how did you get through this? Right. Yeah, they may or may not have a great answer, but. Yeah, I think it's safe to say we, nobody wants to have some of those talks from the parents or the students, the children. Yeah. But usually once you start talking, it kind of opens up. There's something in that whole counseling procedures and techniques thing it's I learned true. one day about it's that. good in your and so, um, psychology minor. So, yeah, those, those last few words, if, if, any, if we heard anything, those last few words there are definitely some bullet points as to what to do, parents, what to do, teenagers, children. Um, yeah, uh, so much helpful information, and I trust that the time together has been helpful uh, to whoever's listening and that we've gained some insight and some encouragement. Natalie, thank you for being here. It's been fun. Time flew by. I'm sure we could probably talk another 48 minutes yeah. about some of these. We could do an episode on each of these topics. Yeah, let's do that <laughs> later. So I appreciate your time. Like I said, we'll we'll put the information for um, Natalie Atwell and her uh, counseling center uh, on the show notes and make sure you have access to that. Thanks again for listening, and uh, we look forward to, to meeting with you all again in our next episode. Thanks thank you. for having me. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for listening today. Central Baptist Church in Kannapolis, North Carolina is making an impact for the cause of Christ. Come, worship with us. Visit our website at cbckannapolis.com for more information about our ministries impacting our families and community.